Welcome back to Here to There, a podcast about commuting in and around the Twin Cities and where it could go next. From Apparatus and Transit for Livable Communities and co-hosted by Laili Fatahi and Laura Mon-Ginsberg, Here to There brings you along for a variety of commutes across the many systems, neighborhoods, and modes available to Twin Cities commuters. In today's episode, we're grappling with equity through discussions that highlight the outcomes that can occur when equity is, or is not, a key consideration in how we develop, support, and grow communities. First, we commute from Minneapolis to Shakopee with two Amazon employees. They discuss the many ways they've approached their transportation to a better paying job in the far suburbs of the metro, including using public transit, a dedicated employee bus provided by Amazon, Uber, and a carpool jigsaw puzzle. Next, we're joined in the studio by Ravi Norman, CEO of Thor Companies, who shares his perspective on taking a people and community-centered approach to inclusion and collaboration in order to revitalize a key stretch of North Minneapolis and provide more equitable infrastructure where it's needed. To follow along with additional resources and information, visit heretotheirpodcast.org and follow the H2T podcast hashtag on Twitter. And now, let's join the ride. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for having us in the car this morning. This is Laylee. Welcome to episode nine of Here to There. Laura and I begin this episode's commute bright and early at 5.30 a.m. in Minneapolis's Midtown Phillips neighborhood, outside the home of one of our commute hosts, Ibrahim. We've just been picked up by Ibrahim's colleague, Zach, with whom he carpools to work. Yeah, my name is Ibrahim. So today we are going to Shetobi, you want Amazon Adaya, so. My name is Zachariah, or Zach, you can say Zach as short. Um, so we go and we head into work right now. It's like 5.35 right now. So we usually, it's gonna take about um, 35 minutes or 30 minutes, it depends for the traffic. Ibrahim and Zach work at the million square foot fulfillment center Amazon built last year in the Twin Cities outer ring suburb of Shakopee. The facility created thousands of new entry-level jobs with starting pay of $16 or more an hour and strong benefits you'll hear more about shortly. Shakopee, however, lacks the labor supply to fill these positions and also lacks the stock of affordable housing needed in order for that workforce to live there. Consequently, Amazon draws much of its workers from Twin Cities communities like Phillips, North Minneapolis, and Cedar Riverside that have disproportionately high rates of unemployment and are largely communities of color. In fact, if you stroll through any of these neighborhoods, you'll see signs advertising for these jobs. Perfect. Now, you told me that you used to take the bus, is that right? Yeah, I used to take the bus, but in May and before, so... Usually when I used to take the bus, I usually used to wake up like 4.30 in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the bus usually used to depart from Cedar at like 5.15. Okay. So in order to draw my ward, which starts like 6.30, I usually used to, to work up like 4.30. Oh, gosh. So it was really, it was, it's, it's kind of hard, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And was that a was that a dedicated bus that yeah, went? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was everybody on it was going to Amazon. Yep, yep. Okay, great. The bus Ibrahim is talking about is a full-size bus that Amazon sends every day to Minneapolis's Cedar Riverside neighborhood to shuttle hundreds of the nearly 2,000 employees it has hired out of Cedar Riverside through a job center run by the Confederation of Somali Community. How did you guys get connected to drive together instead of taking the bus? 
the me and Zach, we we worked together so mm-hmm. and then we get to know each other mm-hmm. then lately i didn't ask him hey man can you just give me a ride mm-hmm. so so he said okay <laughs> then that's it perfect well that's yeah. yeah that seems much easier and you get to sleep a little later yeah Zach, and similar for you yeah, so the same thing he said, I used to take the bus. Mm-hmm. That was like um, back in the last year, around January and February. And then that was really tough. I used to wake up um, like 5, no, um, I mean 3.30. And then I have to get ready. Uh, and the last time I was, um, I have to be there like at the train station at 4, mm-hmm. lastly. And then I have to be there at Jacoby at work at 6. So that was really tough. I was wow. doing that like four months. Okay. And then I tried to have a car, and then I went to a dealership, and then they said we can't get you, we can't get you approved for any other any cars right now uh-huh. because you don't have a budget and you don't have any credit. Uh-huh. And then I said, okay, I tried my best. I tried to save some money uh-huh. to make a down payment at least, um, and then I finally made it. So I got this Ford Fiesta right now. It's really cool, and I like it. So August thirty um, first is going to be one year. Okay. Yeah. And so, did you guys do anything different before you took that dedicated bus, or were you always taking that before you carpooled? There was a guy who used to give me a ride, mm-hmm. and then that was like just about a month, and then he said it's tough for me like to wake up and call oh. him for someone, and he said sometimes I get late, that's why I have to get to work, so uh-huh. I can't give you a ride more than that. But that was one month. I said thanks so much for that. Sure. And then after that, I tried my best to have a car. Got it. But that didn't take too long to get a car. Well, that's good. Me. Yeah. Do you like the Amazon work? Is it? It's it's really good place yeah. to work. They have a lot of benefits like health benefits and vacation and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not really too bad. Uh, but sometimes it's tough like working like every day. It's kind of far distance going there every day. But I really like it. Amazon. I love Amazon. And then they have a lot of benefits too. Um, Let's say if you stay with Amazon at least one year, they will um, they will pay for you the, for the college um, for ninety percent of the tuition and everything. Wow! So that's really cool. That's I like great. it. That's that's kind of thing I'm trying to do. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. I didn't realize that they had that kind of benefit. Yeah. I'm impressed. Is that something you'd want to do too, or no? Yeah, that's something I want to do too. Uh huh. But. We have sometimes, uh, and also they have a program that, let's say, they have overtime, they have monetary overtime, like, mm-hmm. sometimes usually work two more days for monetary overtime. So, if you go to a school, they have program for you, and then you can make your schedule, and you wanna you, you can work the days that you want, and you don't wanna, you don't have to work the days that you have classes. So, that's cool, too. Oh, that's nice. So they really accommodate then? Yep. Okay. Yep. yep that's yep, great. Yep. Do you feel like there are any jobs closer to you that would compare to this one that you have? Not really. So most of the jobs, they pay like 12 bucks or 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's not enough. Like you have to pay a lot of bills. But Amazon, they have a lot of overtimes and everything. You can save money. Sometimes, sometimes they have like... You have to work like six days. It's kind of tough, but it's really cool. I like it. So do you guys like carpooling? How do you feel about doing this in the winter? I can drive in the winter. So. <laughs> I don't really worry about the winter time right now because okay. I'm driving. 
So I'm trying to get a bigger car because this is really tough to drive the winter time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not really too bad if you have a nice car for the winter time. Sure. But for me, I hate catching the bus. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. Because you have to be there at least um, on time uh -huh. for the bus every day. Right. If you miss it, there's no one that you can call. It's too late. The only thing you can do is to catch Uber, and Uber is a lot of money. It's not worth it. Laura and I took an Uber back from Shakopee to Ibrahim's house, and it cost $30. Was there a charge for that bus? Did you pay? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, for me, I used to pay the bus, but right now they got this for Amazon. Uh -huh. So you don't have to pay for this one, but the one that I used to ride, uh -huh. that was like three bucks every, um, every morning. The $3 bus Zach is talking about is an express route bus from Mall of America offered by the Minnesota Valley Transit Authority, MVTA. And then after work, you have to catch, um, I, I used to catch the train to Mall of America and then to Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes I used to sleep inside the train. Sure. Yeah. How long did that take when you were doing that route? That was like three months. Okay. And that time it was the beginning of the winter time. That was worse. And I suppose that took a lot longer to get to work than yep. just driving straight. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Usually it takes about 30 minutes, but once you're catching the bus, it's like two hours. That's a lot. That must have made it really hard to have any time back yeah. at home or to yeah. run errands yeah. or to yeah. you know, yeah, eat a nice not, dinner. Yeah, but it's not going to take forever. You have to uh, make sure you get a car, save some money at least. Because what time does your shift usually end? 5 p.m. Okay. So yeah. then if you were taking the bus, that would be another two hours yep. for the commute back. It'd be 7 p.m. and then yep. start again in the morning. Wow. Yep. That's a long day. That is a really long day. That's that was tough, yeah. The only thing I can do is just go home and prepare some food and watch a little bit, at least the news or something, mm -hmm. and then get to bed. Yeah. Because you have to make sure you sleep well, too. Otherwise, you can't drive it. Sometimes you go speed, and sometimes it's not really cool. Yeah, that's a great point, because this is a very long drive. You have to be prepared yeah. for it, yeah. So you said you were in Idaho before. How do you like Minnesota compared? Um, my mom, she didn't like it there, because <laughs> there's there's no jobs there. They pay, like, the, the maximum for the the highest bid is, like, 10 bucks. Or I used to work um, at Boise Town Square Mall, which is the city of Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And then I used to work there, and then I was getting paid. Um, per hour like seven bucks. Wow. So that was horrible. Yeah. And then my mom, she said she didn't like it there, and then we moved here. I tried to stay there, uh -huh. and then, but she said that she, she didn't like it there. Because my mom, she have a heart, heart problem. She has a pacemaker, so uh -huh. if she gets more worried about anything, she might um, get something like really bad. So. I said, okay, let's move there in Minneapolis, and then we got here. But I, didn't, I like it here okay. better. So if there was a job that paid what Amazon pays and had good benefits like Amazon but was closer, would you stay with Amazon or would you prefer to be closer to home? I would stay on Amazon. Really? Because you said if it was closer, right? Mm -hmm. I would stay at Amazon. For me, I like Amazon. In the future, I don't know, sure. but I like Amazon right now. If I find a job that has same pay, which is closer to me, so mm -hmm. I would draw that I, that job. So yeah. Well, Minneapolis is a, about to institute fifteen dollar minimum wage with paid sick, and 
and all of that. So yeah, maybe we'll see if we'll see. This is the facility. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Wow, it's huge. This is huge. Here we come. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks so much. This was really great. Thanks for doing this with us. Would you guys be willing to be in a quick picture together? Yep. Yeah? Okay. We're now back in the studio from our commute to Shakopee, and considering we took an Uber back to Minneapolis ourselves, we really got to see just how time and or money consuming it can be to get to work all the way out there. You're absolutely right. I would be curious to know how many others have tried different ways to get to and from work like Zach and Ibrahim have, because they really tested all the options available to them before settling on driving being the easiest. Yeah, well, easiest being a relative term, of course. Of course, not to be understated just how long that trip was, including how early we had to leave, the distance we had to drive, and then thinking of them working a 10-hour shift before heading home through rush hour. And I think it's important for our listeners to note that it's no coincidence that Ibrahim and Zach, like thousands of other Amazon employees, are residents of neighborhoods that comprise some of the state's highest concentrations of people of color and low-income households, uh, and they're not two white dudes from Linden Hills. And this is really the crux of why we've chosen in this episode that's dedicated to equity to really focus on something that is under-examined and that is something that we can perhaps call spatial racism. And that is racism that's endemic to where we build the physical infrastructure that creates employment and economic opportunities and its proximity to those who most need those opportunities. I think it also has to do with the racism of where the wealth is produced by that infrastructure uh, and then how that's geographically distributed. So this relates a lot to one of the major themes that we've been weaving over and over again throughout this podcast series. And I'm really thinking back to episode one where we talked about the widening of racial disparities that is resulting from only affluent, predominantly white neighborhoods being served by projects that seek to improve health, wealth, and ease of living. That's right. Minneapolis, like many cities, is experiencing a major revival of people choosing to live and work in the urban core. And the city has helped to encourage and support that through land use planning and capital investments to do things like increase housing densities and enhance the transit connectivity of of resident workers to local jobs. Um, But that's mainly served to improve the convenience of, as you said, affluent, mostly white residents and to enhance the communities in which those residents live. This same urban revival, however, has raised concerns about the displacement of low-income communities and businesses, um, largely comprised of people of color, uh, in the face of rising housing costs and commercial rents. Right. So more simply put, we prioritize making it as fast and easy as possible for white professionals to get to work or even telecommute to work, but have little problem regarding a four-hour daily commute added to a 12-hour workday for a basic living wage as acceptable for poorer residents of color. Right. Um, And, you know, it also highlights, I think, that people can be displaced from their communities, even if they have jobs that let them pay 
their rising rents. Ibrahim and Zach talked about how they come home and they basically only have time to eat dinner and watch a little soccer before going to bed and starting the day all over again. Their commute makes it very difficult for them to spend time with their community. Yeah, so this is where you really see those issues of livability and social cohesion come home to roost in a very large topic of equity. And that's why we're really excited uh, to interview Ravi Norman, the CEO of Thor Companies, in the second half of this episode. Ravi is really a leader both in thought and in action when it comes to addressing the spatial inequities of our infrastructure, job opportunities, housing, much more. And under Ravi's leadership, Thor, which is one of the nation's largest African-American-owned businesses, is really helping to lead the charge on making some transformational changes in North Minneapolis and beyond in terms of creating wealth and opportunity without gentrification. That's right. And quite the opposite of Amazon, which built its facility out in Shakopee, Thor is building its headquarters right in the heart of North Minneapolis. Let's hear more from that conversation. Hi, we're back in the studio. This is Laura Ginsberg from Apparatus, and I am so excited to introduce Ravi Norman from Thor Construction. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I know a lot about you because there's prolific news media. You've given some fantastic interviews, but can you start by giving a little bit of background on yourself and the company? Sure. So I'm Ravi Norman, the CEO of Thor Companies. I've uh, been with the organization just under 12 years, and I'm proud to say that you know, we are the state's largest African-American-owned business. I think we have been the largest minority-owned business for at least a decade here wow. in Minnesota. Uh, we are on the Black Enterprise Top 100 Industrial Service Companies. Um, I think we're number 21 as of last year, and you know we just finished a pretty big merger in the last few weeks. That'll put us in the top 10 uh, nationally. And so we're one of the largest African-American-owned industrial service companies in the country. I've always prided ourselves on, you know, not just building buildings and places Mm -hmm. and spaces, but making sure that we're building uh, relationships and making sure that we build relationships which enable us to build the places and spaces that we build uh, so that we can ultimately build wealth Mm -hmm. and build wealth for, yes, our stakeholders and our employees and their families, but also, and probably more importantly, Uh, for those local communities in which we build our buildings. So it sounds like Thor's approach is one that places considerable emphasis on the geography of where buildings are constructed and on trying to co-locate buildings and the economic and social enterprises they house in existing communities that can benefit from those enterprises. Is that right? It's kind of a tangible outcome. No matter if prefabrication or modernization or any other things happen off-site, it gets built at a very specific longitude and latitude, which means you're going to be right in the heart of some place geographically. And so our goal is to make sure that those buildings certainly want to be able to have people be able to congregate in our buildings. We want them to be safe, high quality, comfortable, and I always say cool. Mm-hmm. So people, uh, uh, they feel like they're appealing to live in, work in, and play in. But we also want to make sure our supply chains are creating opportunities for those local entrepreneurs and local workforce. Yeah, I was really drawn to the company's tagline of social, environmental, and economic well-being, that it seems like a much higher vision for what you're doing than, you know, what some people might say, oh, it's, you know, it's construction, it's building, it's... Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Our, Our vision actually is that we deliver smart models for building, transforming, and sustaining healthy communities. Mm -hmm. I talked earlier about what do we build. So, yes, we do build that place and space, and 
we're always going to be in the place and space business because we just think that there isn't a community or economic development model that we've seen that doesn't include infrastructure or vertical buildings. And we think people are social creatures. You know, we think that people like to congregate together, no matter how virtual environments may be kind of emerging. We think people still at heart are governed by thermodynamic law, and there's real value in the energy transference when people are in close proximity to one another. So because of that, we always think we're going to be in business. But we recognize that a building's just a building. You know, it's a bunch of component parts, and it's really the people that make the difference. And it, people make the difference not only in the occupancy of that particular building, but also in how that building gets designed, how it gets the planning around it, how it gets constructed. So we always talk about building relationships before we build place and space. So tell me more about that process of building relationships and then getting from those relationships to a place and space. What are the goals and aspirational outcomes of that approach? We want those relationships to be defined by hope. So that's a kind of a spiritual concept where people find some kind of common scenario of vision mm-hmm. and aspiration and what they're inspired by. And then there's some effort that has to go along with that relationship. Mm-hmm. And then from that, hopefully you can earn trust. And that's what we've tried to do is build relationships that enable us to build place and space so that we then again can build wealth. And the wealth, of course, in a capitalistic society is economic. But mm-hmm. we've also said when we go into communities and we're dealing with people, economics is kind of a lagging indicator mm-hmm. of other parts of your humanity. Mm-hmm. So are we helping people build spiritual health and wealth? Are we helping them build physical health and wealth? Are we helping them build emotional health and wealth? Are we helping them build mental health and wealth that leads to, we think, causality uh, outcomes as it relates to economics. So that's the build wealth concept. But then after you build these things, how do you help them transform Mm -hmm. healthy communities? From a transformational standpoint, um, we first and foremost, I tell people, we try to take perceived deficits and liabilities and convert them into assets. So the transformation process is how do you take deficit and liability and, and transform it into the asset? And really, it's in three distinct areas that we do that there. One is geographic. So you'll find that a lot of the places that we target to do business are, of course, we'll do business in downtown Mm -hmm. and urban cores. We'll do business in places like the North Loop. I mean, these are vibrant places where there's, you know, a great economic vitality going on. But our focus tends to be just outside of those rungs, right? Um, we'll do a big multi-use sports facility type project downtown, but we're really trying to focus in on places like North Minneapolis or the east side of St. Paul in Frogtown or even northeast Minneapolis or, you know, the south side of Chicago or north St. Louis or Inglewood in California. Those pockets that are just outside of places that already have investment, so you already have infrastructure, typically a transit investment is already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet it's just surprising that you can have the kind of vitality that's happening in a North Loop and just a stone's throw away is a North Minneapolis, which still has access to a lot of those same things, but yet in that particular pocket, um, there is a lot of historical underutilization, underinvestment, underrepresentation, which we don't, we try to say, okay, well, why are people doing that? Mm -hmm. We, and we see assets there, you know, even as a good development kind of strategy, you know, the land cost in North Minneapolis is significantly different than the land cost in the North Loop right now, even though there are stones throw away from each other Absolutely. and can really have access to similar amenities if people were intentional. So that creates opportunity in our mind. The other perceived liability and asset that's even greater is the perceived liability of people. So the only reason that places like North Minneapolis have that perception of liability and deficit is because that's how people perceive the people there. 
And so they associate it with crime and a lack of education and not a lot of wealth and you know, as it relates to economic wealth. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have a whole methodology around assessment where we think there's a lot of concealed value in the people, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a lot of production and innovation and resiliency that's oftentimes overlooked that people don't see. Without question, there's some, you know, there's some parts to that equation that include you know, where we need better performance and better productivity. But also there's a large contingent of people that are in those communities, committed to those communities, those geographic areas, and are producing and are innovative and are resilient. And then third, I would say, not just geography, not just the people, but there's also perception of liability in the challenge itself. Mm -hmm. So we like the really difficult, complex challenge. We don't run from those. You know, we like to jump in and say, okay, this is where there's a great opportunity. The people and community-centeredness of your approach sounds like one that, by its nature, must be very inclusive and collaborative. There's a real illusion, in our opinion, in capitalism around this concept of rugged individualism and people pulling themselves up from their bootstraps. We just don't think it exists. We think it's just an illusion that there isn't a single person that's out here doing it alone. Mm -hmm. And our very existence is interdependent. So we try to get people to transform themselves and transform this illusion of rugged individualism into a wiser intelligence of cooperative modeling. And that is always kind of these interdependent systems and interdependent people and interdependent communities working together to produce synergy. So the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. In keeping with these organizational values you're describing, Thor has made the decision to build its headquarters in North Minneapolis, yes? Yeah. So, you know, it's... uh, it's, it's beautiful on paper, and and right now the concrete foundations look beautiful, but it'll be done <laughs> as a base building by late January and then hopefully have something that's right around Super Bowl time mm. that people can celebrate. Moving in in the middle of winter, what could be more Minnesota? I know, right? You know, this is, you're so right. But at least, you know, the shell of the building will be yeah. pretty, you know, encapsulated and wrapped up. But we can do a great kind of event in February and do that indoors so that people don't freeze. Perfect. Um, and what really compelled us to do that? Well, I talked earlier about some of the things that move right. us, right, in emerging geographic areas, emerging people, mm-hmm. um, and the complex challenge. You know, about us, that's how we kind of focus in on that. How do we transfer and perceive deficits and liabilities and assets? And honestly, North Minneapolis has been tagged in a lot of ways. It's been looked at as a negative. You know, there's a bunch of discussion around the disparities issues in this region between whites and communities of color. Uh, And, of course, people point to that as ground zero in a lot of ways because the statistics would say that you should. So I don't deny that it has had some real issues there. But some of those issues are just a derivative of a lack of investment and a lack of underutilization. But there's also some personal responsibility things that all of us need to take uh, into account. And so for me, we spend a lot of time talking about those issues and I'm just a person that doesn't like to just do this. This is fun, mm-hmm. like being able to come and have, you know editorialize and pontificate a little bit. But I'm an action guy, right? So I'm an entrepreneur. I like to lead with private investment. And then I like to build relationships that, again, allow us to build place and space so we can build wealth. And in this particular instance, you know, I talked about all of that relative to a healthy community. And a healthy community to me has private business, government, and I like my government's purple, Right. I like a combination Mm -hmm. of of some things that are on both sides of the aisle that I think are relevant. Philanthropic and nonprofit communities heavily leaning in universities because I think they're key for research and development and and, and some other things. And then, of course, the people who are just the residents, the patrons, the visitors, the people who live, work and play in those particular communities. Those five coming together, Mm -hmm. you know, have to lean. That forms a healthy community when they're all leaning in together. And that's what we tried to make our anecdotal deal in North Minneapolis is all about. I mean, from a private business standpoint, not only was it a vision from Thor 
And our vision was really revolving around this concept of entrepreneurship. As much as, yes, we know job creation is a really important catalytic impact, entrepreneurialism has shown itself to be six times more effective Mm -hmm. in reducing wealth disparities Mm -hmm. and the wealth gap. So we tend to focus more on what are people inspired by, what are they aspirational for, what do they see as their way of being most productive based on a need that they may see is in either in their local community, regional community, in the state, across the United States, mm-hmm. and, you know, globally? Where do you see the opportunity and how can you fulfill it? What's the innovative kind of thing you're learning that you can continually improve whatever that particular supplier proposition okay. is? And then how can you be resilient enough to know that it's going to be tough out here? Not most businesses fail in the startup phase. Right. And how do you continue to push through those things and build kind of a network for capacity building and relationship and board governance and all this other stuff. So we've kind of focused in on that. And that's a private business-led initiative. So that Mm -hmm. starts with Thor. So the vision of it was, you know, and I try to remind people, this was a prominent place for entrepreneurship in the Jewish community pre-riots, right? Mm -hmm. Plymouth Avenue was Mm -hmm. a well-known kind of old north, uh, you you know, just really unbelievable amount of vitality around entrepreneurship. And then, of course, post-riots, they fled more in you know, St. Louis Park, Golden Valley. And we never really recaptured that. And that's part of the vision for me was, well, hey, let's bring this entrepreneurial vision mm-hmm. back. This is Laylee. The history that Ravi is providing about North Minneapolis is profoundly meaningful to many of the themes we're discussing in this episode and across all 10 episodes of this podcast series. So it's worth pausing here to describe it in a bit more detail. The riots Ravi mentioned took place over several days in the summer of 1967. In the first half of the 20th century, North Minneapolis was home to both black and Jewish residents who were restricted from living elsewhere in the city. As Ravi describes, there were many Jewish businesses along Plymouth Avenue, which supported walkable streets and a livable community infrastructure for the area's black and Jewish residents. Following World War II, however, anti-Semitic housing restrictions were relaxed, and many Jewish residents of North Minneapolis began moving to the suburbs, taking their businesses with them. By the 1960s, there was considerable anger and unrest among North Minneapolis's black residents over the growing racial inequalities and deteriorating community infrastructure they faced. This tension was exacerbated when the city's first Jewish mayor acknowledged the poor economic and social conditions facing black residents and promised to create new jobs and opportunities for them, but then failed to deliver on that promise. Then, on the night of the Aquatennial Parade in 1967, an act of police brutality against a black woman ignited an uprising of black residents that lasted over a week and resulted in fire being set to many of the remaining Jewish-owned storefronts on Plymouth Avenue. And when the fires went out, there was no phoenix that emerged from those ashes. By the 1970s, the walkable, livable community that once existed had become a lengthy stretch of empty lots. In 1988, they built the 4th Precinct Police Station on the corner of Plymouth and Penn. In the words of former Northside resident John Koifman, quote, from the corner where Jamar Clark was shot, it's a 20-minute walk to buy a carton of milk. We've posted the Star Tribune commentary by Mr. Koifman on the lasting effects of the 1967 unrest, as well as some other articles, on this episode's page on the Here to There website. So one of our programming things was how can we create something called The Mile, which is the Multicultural Innovation Lab for Entrepreneurship. And so my first pitch was to MEDA, the Metropolitan Economic Development Agency, of which I'm a board member, run by Gary Cunningham, Mm -hmm. and us talking about how do we continue to foster that. In-house, we had already started our own consulting practice 
with a lady named Leah Hargett, who used to run the Minnesota Black Chamber of Commerce. And she and I had been working on this kind of mile-based concept for a few years, combined with Mita and Target. So Target, of course, is, you know, very much leaned in right now to saying, you know, how can we impact uh, not only health and wellness and education, but how can we impact supply chains and diversity? Uh, Mark Shindell, uh, Laisha Ward, and all the way up to Brian Cornell. And so that dialogue with the private model is kind of what also led with a lean in, Mm -hmm. honestly, from government first. If Hennepin County would not have already had the vision to say, we want to support the North Point expansion, Mm -hmm. which was a $67 million commitment, which honestly, which interesting how this all loops together is Gary Cunningham, who used to run Pilot City before Stella, Mm -hmm. uh, had been pushing for the county to say, hey, this is a working platform for Mm -hmm. health services. And you need to lean in. I mean, it does a great job economically. You can you know, look at some of the returns that that particular um, health and wellness clinic pr- provides back to the county. So they're, they're doing a great job. And there have been uh, for a while this need to say, why don't we invest in kind of expanding the services? Because it's so much demand. Me again. North Point is a health and wellness center run by Hennepin County. It's a massive expansion of the Pilot City Health Center located at Plymouth and Penn and will be fully finished by 2020 and is expected to create immense economic opportunity for the residents of North Minneapolis. And really through the leadership of David Huff over at the county and the county administration and the rest of the group underneath David and, of course, the county commissioners, when they decided to lean in in that way, it created an economic model that I could do some of the things we wanted to do because we had been looking at trying to go back to that corner for six years. And the county deal allowed us to do something that was really critical in pulling the whole deal off, which was taking some of the dollars that were in that $67 million and saying to them, hey, to spur this development, I could put the parking ramp to support your expansion on the southeast corner instead of putting it in the northwest corner. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started the model, that concept of providing the garage. The garage was the first kind of model that we put together. Then we were able to figure out the office piece as a result of that. And eventually, the fourth floor of our building wound up taking some of the executives that were going to be over in the northwest corner in in Hennepin County taking a floor on the top Hmm. of our building. So all of those things worked out, plus there's about 10,000 square feet of retail, Mm -hmm. which allows us to put some kind of food amenity and some other things that are, you know, kind of lacking right there. I mean, there's all this kind of great job creation going on right there between North Point And remember, with North Point's expansion, Estes Funeral Home, who had been on that corner for 50, you know, has been in business for 50 some years and over 40 years on that corner, their ability to move and get a new building, which helped support uh, the growth of North Point across the street, Urban League, the Minneapolis Urban League, which is tied to a national urban league that has such relevance in uh, communities of color and sponsoring a bunch of great ideas and initiatives. And then the University of Minnesota had already leaned in Mm -hmm. with the University Research and Outreach Center, Mm -hmm. which is right on, actually we're sharing access together Mm -hmm. right on our corner. So all of that kind of parts of the ecosystem leaning in, and then you add kind of um, um, Anchor Bank, which it was a few community-based banks, not the big, big banks, but the community-based banks really stepping up Mm -hmm. for that kind of how do you create the senior financing. And then Richard Davis and U.S. Bank were... um, you know, integral in making a tax credit model work there and becoming our tax credit investor. That plus LISC, which is a national organization, and LISC stepping up as a nonprofit who was able to provide some bridge financing and help with their portion of tax credits that they could allocate to the deal. So, I mean, this deal doesn't get done without all those parts of that healthy community leaning in together very Mm -hmm. intentionally. And, of course, while all that was going on, there's also this ITASCA initiative 
which has kind of come together. And task has tried to do some bold work here. They kind of started a lot of the dialogue mm. in 2005 with the Mind the Gap study, kind of saying, you know, let's talk about this issue of disparity is one of the things that comes out of the employment, education, and transit discussion. So great leadership there as well. So all these things kind of coming together is how you get these kind of transformational things done. Mm-hmm. So as great as this 100,000-square-foot building with, uh, you know, 620 stalls of parking and this great programming going inside, it would not happen. No matter how great Ravi Norman and Richard Copeland and Thor's vision was, we couldn't have gotten this done without everybody leaning in together. And that's the real scalable model. That's what can be replicated is that if you have some people with the right intent and the right vision inspired Mm -hmm. by something and the relationships to be able to say, let's pull together around this, um, you can get some amazing things done. And it helps our region. Our region, we're competing for talent around the world and around the United States and around Europe. You know, how do we differentiate ourselves from a Charlotte or an Austin or a Boston or a Seattle and then or a Portland? keep it because that's people, been an that's issue. Right. Is the... That's right. And I always say you, when you get people somewhere, then you have to develop them. Right. It's like I'm in a business. If I don't have a concept for professional growth and helping people kind of live their dream out in that latter concept, mm-hmm. you're not going to keep them because somebody else is going to offer an alternative. And mm-hmm. so... We can't be the best region if we don't if the frog towns aren't thriving and the North Minneapolis aren't thriving or parts of Northeast aren't thriving. South Minneapolis has had a, a nice model where mm-hmm. they kind of showed how you can get a thriving community. And of course, we're trying to do all of this investment without gentrification, right? right? So part of the re- way you get not having gentrification is you can't have a strategy for just move out. You got to have a strategy for saying there's some diagnostic work about the assets. That's why the assessment methodology about what is the concealed value, helping people recognize their own, be inspired, recognize their own aspirational dreams. How can we help them be productive? How can we help with human capital development? How can we help with some of this micro entrepreneurship models? How can we help with attainable housing? I mean, those all fabrics of being able to keep some of the assets that are there to be able to thrive in those same communities. Because when you have people that have been in places for a long time and are vested, that's how you get the communities that people really take care of, too. Right. You don't want this kind of transit concept where you just bring somebody new in. You want to be able to kind of say, listen, grow here. You've been here. you got blood, sweat, and tears, family legacies, generations invested. You, know, you should be on both sides of that great equation. When it comes to revitalization, that doesn't mean gentrification. So what of those hard infrastructure components that have led to some of the systemic inequality? So I'm thinking specifically uh, in a previous episode, we had some representatives on from Reconnect Rondo. I don't know if you're familiar with that effort at all. We are. Similar issues, right, where there's been an area that has had a perception that it's a certain way. And part of that is because of the... Know, the, and this is a national issue yeah. when the highway systems were being put in. No question. There was a lot of disruption to areas that didn't have a voice at the table to say, this is going right through my community. Yeah, put this it right is, through your community. <laughs> I mean, like literally, you look at a map and you're like, who would? Okay. So anyway, what of that? I mean, that's something that has afflicted North Minneapolis as well. It's some of those really enormous infrastructure projects that have gone through areas or routed around in a way that's, you know, circuitous or doesn't make as much sense. When you're thinking about revitalization that's not gentrification, how do you deal with those really big components that bring in that artificial separation? Well, the first thing is by doing what you just did is being transparent. You can't cafeteria shop history, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you, you got to bring it forward and you got to be able to show that there are causality. Part of that assessment methodology sure. of 
being productive, being innovative, and being resilient. Mm-hmm. Well, in that resilient concept and in the productivity concept, I, I talked earlier about it's not just the output. It's also about the challenges you had to overcome and the asset inputs that help you know determine those outputs. That's called stewardship. So when we're analyzing stewardship, we have to analyze the things that have been structurally done right. to try and maybe create challenges for certain individuals or certain geographic locations or certain communities, right? The same thing with resilience. Resiliency denotes people or organizations that have had to deal with a tough environment, condition, or circumstance or some setback concept that has happened and how do you get back up off the floor and fight? Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that I think are missing sometimes. And so when you have have to bring those things forward into the discussion on a transparent basis first so you can say, Hey, these, you know, when we're measuring productivity and we're measuring innovation and we're measuring resiliency, we have to have all the facts about kind of what things, what challenges have had to, had to overcome. That's one. Two, we got to be at the table when policy decisions are getting made. Yeah. And so one of the things that, you know, we really are, and we work closely right now with His Works United and the African American Church Network mm-hmm. there, Alfred Babington Johnson, uh, Reverend McAfee, Bishop Howe, and others to try and how can we connect these concepts of, again, what's happening in business and what might be happening in real estate, but what's happening with those people and their families and the NASs? NAS is the Northside Achievement Zone, a partnership of organizations, schools, and families in North Minneapolis working together to close the achievement gap. And the Tawana Blacks. Tawana Black is the executive director for the Northside Funders Group, a collaboration of public, private, and foundation investors focused on creating comprehensive and sustainable change in North Minneapolis. And I mean, there's a bunch of people that are engaged in trying to lean in around all the way down to the family levels and educating those things and then trying to create this dynamic of connectivity to all of the different elements that make up a community so we can be organized in how we try to articulate what should be policy recommendations mm-hmm. um, because you know those things are happening a lot of times at the city council they're happening in the mayor's office they're happening at the county level and if you're not in the loop mm-hmm. of how to even be part of impacting that policy I'll be I'll tell you that one of the things that was very helpful and even my deal in getting the Hennepin County investment Not that that wouldn't have happened by itself already, but there was a very organized effort of community members Mm. pushing to support Stella. That's Stella Whitney West, the CEO of North Point Health and Wellness. To shape policy, because that's, you know, politics works that way, too, Mm -hmm. by the way. You know, Mm -hmm. if if the the politicians read the tea leaves, they see a kind of a very organized effort with some scalability they're going to listen in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. It's when you're not in the loop and you don't have the information and you're not showing up mm-hmm. to impact policy, that policy, you know, someone used to always tell me that if you're not the, at the table, you're the one getting eaten, right? And so this concept of being at the poli- being at the table, shaping policy is important in that dynamic. In our particular deal, Metro Transit and Brian Lamb are a part of this Penn and Plymouth partnership that we're trying to really develop and, you know, putting that, you know, the bus rapper transit. I mean, right. if that, line if, C. It, yes, if line C was not available, you know, all of a sudden that impacts people's able to go to and get from certain mm-hmm. places, right? So right. part of it we try to overcome with the transit issue by saying, let's put something right there that could create jobs and create, you know, opportunities and amenities, but also to your point earlier about the concept of how do you get someone from north who might want to work at Amazon, you got to have some transit system or some system that allows them to get there or else you have this now kind of structural gentrification in a lot of ways, right, that people can't get access. So 
it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why, you know, when, when people are at the state level trying to lobby for transportation, multimodal tr- you know, transportation systems that include light rail and mm-hmm. transit, these things are all really vital mm-hmm. to if we want to compete. You know, if we want to be able to attract talent, keep them here, you know, retain them, develop them, we've got to have be able to get people to and from certain places. And yes, I know people love the idea of autonomous vehicles and think, you know, well, everybody in the autonomous vehicle world, you don't need some of these other forms because everybody's going to be able to have this autonomous vehicle. Well, let's talk about what the capacity for that really looks like. Let's talk about, you know, the impacts on that. Let's talk about the affordability of some of those things, too. Uh, there's a there's a there's still a big gap in being able to have everybody just into that equation. Right. right. So. Well, I know that your time is very valuable. Thank you so much for being here. Such Thank a pleasure you. to meet you. I know I talked really long, but I appreciate it. I couldn't think of somebody time. better. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Here to There is produced by Apparatus, Transit for Livable Communities, and Studio Americana, with additional support from Minneapolis Downtown Council. Your hosts are Laley Fatahi and Laura Mann Ginsberg. Production and editing by Ian Levitt with Studio Americana. Original music by Bubba Holly. No part of this podcast may be used or reproduced without express written consent of Apparatus. To join the ride, subscribe to Here to There at heretotherepodcast.org, on iTunes, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to leave us a review and rating. Stop by the website for additional content, including extended interviews, an interactive commuting story map, pictures and videos from our commutes, and more. Mm-hmm.